Hello cricket fans, welcome to another episode of the Armchair Cricketer. It's been a while between drinks, but let's get straight to it. Firstly, a personal update. I joined a cricket club after five years of not playing, so I played my first game on the weekend, and it was interesting. I got out for a duck initially, but when I was bowling, I got three wickets in an over, so I did a Hazelwood, so pretty happy with that. What do I bowl, you ask? It's just some offies, but I like to call them lollipops. The team we were playing were very cocky against the spinners and I just kept on looping them up and they kept on taking the bait. So it was good. I could have had a 5-4, potentially a 6-4. But you know, when you're playing club-level cricket, uh, bad fielding, including myself, is a given. But very happy with the um, final outcome. We're going to be covering a lot of topics today, so there's been a lot of test cricket since I last made an episode. We'll look into the Australia versus Pakistan series, there were the Bangladesh versus New Zealand series as well, both test and a few um, limited overs cricket as well. India versus South Africa. Let's have a quick glance into the IPL auction results, another quick glance into the BBL so far as well. And finally, what all of this means for the future of test cricket, which is an ongoing conversation at the moment. So let's look at Australia versus Pakistan first up. It was a really good series, but before the series even started, or a ball was even bowled, even thought of being bowled, there was drama. D-R-A-M-A, drama, with Mitchell Johnson not being happy that David Warren is getting a farewell series. Look, none of us really know what the actual drama was behind and what the motivation for those comments were. And there seems to be something playing behind behind scenes. I think um, Johnson's made David Warner about another million dollars richer because there'll be a lot of people who'd be keen to get onto David Warner's biography now that he's retired and to find out more about Mitchell Johnson's drama as well. However, I think at the end of the day, David Warner justified the decision to have him in the team. He was the second highest run getter in the series and, um, you know, opened up with a 100 and pretty much set the tone for the rest of the series so I think really well played by David Warner kept quiet kept his mouth shut you know let the bat do the talking and got the runs that he needed and also retired on a high so really well done for David Warner Mitch on the other hand um, probably need to reconsider what what kind of comments he's going to be giving in the future let's talk David Warner for a second shall we so he finished up his career in test cricket as the fifth highest run getter for Australia, the sixth highest in ODI cricket, and let's not forget he's not retired from T20 cricket just yet, and he's the second highest run getter in T20 cricket for Australia. This guy's an all-time legend for an Australian cricket team, and I think um, he did deserve the farewell that he got. I'm really glad he was able to justify that as well. And not that he needed to justify it, but he did justify it with that 100 he got in the first innings and just, you know, silence everything that was in conversation at the time. But the flip side of all of this is that he's going to leave a huge hole in Australian cricket. That's an opener gone for test one day and soon to be T20s as well, I'd imagine, at some point. The ODI team's already got Aaron Finch, who has left recently. So Australia needs to hurry up and find a replacement opener pretty quickly. I know there's a lot of talk about Marcus Harris. I'm not 100% sure if he's the solution for all of this. Um, I have a feeling they'll try Stephen Smith first up for the next few years. 
but it'll be interesting to see exactly where that goes. But really well done, David Warner. Hats off to you. You've made an amazing career. And once it is officially done, once the T20 internationals are done as well, I think a lot of people will be reflecting back on your achievements and saying you were an absolute legend of the Australian cricket team. So the result of the series was Australia won it 3-0. And the question is, could Pakistan have won the series? And my answer is yes, they could have. What they need to keep improving is their fielding and their maturity. And I feel like Mohamed Hafiz, the new coach, um, hopefully becomes the permanent coach. He's taking them in a positive direction and in the right direction. But they need to improve their fielding. And that goes to most subcontinental teams except for India. At the moment, India's been a very good fielding unit for about five to, um, I'd say, better part of 10 years now. But it goes for Pakistan, it goes for Bangladesh, it goes for Sri Lanka. Catches win matches. And once you drop the leading Australian batsman all the time, you're going to lose the series. So that's exactly what happened in Melbourne. And a couple of catches went down in Sydney as well. So Melbourne in particular, if we focus in, we had Abdullah Shafiq dropping catches left, right and centre. So why on earth was he still in the slip cordon? I have no idea. That bloke should never be allowed to go back to the slip cordon. And then the next bit in the Melbourne test was 50 extras. So that's something you can control. You shouldn't be giving away 50 extras in any test innings, let alone in a score of about 300 odd. So had they tightened up those two things, they probably would have won the game. I think their batting needs to mature up a bit as well. They just panic too fast. They just give in. They're just not wired for thinking through when it's test cricket. And I don't know how that maturity comes about because in Australia it seems to come about just over time and as players mature. But in the subcontinent it doesn't seem to be – they don't seem to have the same level of test cricket education, so to speak, off. And I don't know what is required. But, you know, they have a lot of international staff and coaching staff and support staff and things like that. So these things would be spoken of. So that's where Pakistan needs to focus in. But for a young outfit, I thought it was a good series. Um, I did feel like one guy in Abdullah Shafiq cost them the series as well. But, you know, they just need to keep at it and keep improving. There was definitely a few dodgy selections in the third game. Shaheen, Afridi, I heard he had bowled the most overs in Test cricket. You know what, whatever. There was a Test match in Australia to be won. Um, I don't think there's a... World Cup or a T20 um, tournament in the next couple of months coming up so they should have really gone after that win. Um, had he played in Sydney they, uh, would they have maybe maybe they would have won um, I don't think they would have given how they panicked um, with the bat in the second innings but yeah it would have been a close um, contest once again closer than what it was even so Pakistan needs to improve their fielding, maturity, and just more continuity with the same playing group and things like that. Um, that debutant they used in the last game, he was actually pretty good in the second inning. So initially I was very critical of him, but he turned out to be pretty good. But I think the one I would have dropped um, would have been Shafiq and not Imam Bulhaq. Even though Imam Bulhaq wasn't scoring runs, he was really seeing off the new ball a lot more than Shafiq was. So that probably was another missed opportunity from a Pakistan point of view. But hopefully they'll learn from it and they'll get better. Um, I think one thing I really liked how they went about this particular series was they had two 
tall games organised for this series. They had one against the Vic 11 and then one against Australian Primaries 11 as well. I'd almost say touring teams from the subcontinent should aim for three touring games to get used to Australian conditions because it takes about three games to get used to the Australian conditions from what I've seen over the last, you know, 20 years now. So hopefully other touring teams learn from it. From an Australian point of view, I don't think Australia would be super happy with their performance as well. Stephen Smith continues to struggle. The opening partnership was pretty good between Warner and Kawaja, but as we've discussed already, Warner's gone now, so they need to find that replacement. There was a lot of drop catches in those opening partnerships. I think the narrative of this whole series, but also Australian cricket in general, would be very different had Pakistan held on to those slip catches. And then also from a bowling point of view, I felt there was one too many times we really needed to keep going back to Patrick Cummins and, uh, you know, get that brilliant bowling spells out of him. And the worst thing about all of this is that we don't have a, you know, a strong opposition in the next test series in the, against the West Indies. And I feel like what's going to happen is the Australians are going to dominate them over the next series. And everyone's kind of going to forget about how we were somewhat exposed against Pakistan. You know, Labuschagne had a decent series, but Stephen Smith had a questionable series. There wasn't enough runs coming in that middle order. Travis Head had a very quiet series for the form he's been. Probably parted a bit too hard with the 50 over World Cup win. But hey, if you're going to be man of the match in the 50 um, over World Cup, heck, why not? Um... Yeah, from a bowling point of view, I thought the bowling unit for Australia just, you know, did what they had to do and they continued to get the job done. They had enough runs thanks to all the drop catches as well. But um, it, it is important to note that, you know, these guys have all played together. They're all from the same state. I didn't realise till recently, now that Lions playing back in New South Wales as well, that they are getting old. So Australia needs to be thinking of who's next both from an opening point of view, middle order is fine for now, but then the top order, Stephen Smith's probably starting to get old as well. And then from a bowling point of view as well, hopefully against the West Indies, they're going to try a few of the other youngsters that have been cusping for a good chance. Like, you know, Lance Morris's name comes up. There's a few other blokes that played the Prime Minister's Lemons game and the Vic Lemons games. So hopefully these guys get a shot against the West Indies, um, even if it's one or two of them. Um, rotated round throughout the three-game series. But we need to start thinking about the future, and when I say we, I mean Australia, because it's not the same group that's going to be there for the next five years. I think there's going to be a lot of change there because of just, you know, age and natural retirements. Um, it's kind of sad to see because it's been such a such an amazing outfit of um, cr- players who are playing cricket for so long. But yeah, so I think that from an Australian point of view, they could have been exposed had Pakistan held on to the catches, but uh, not to be, as you know, quite often happens against Pakistan. So what were the shiny lights of this series? I think Pakistan had a few shining lights. Amir Jamal's the obvious one, absolutely dominated with the ball, did really well with the bat as well. And his general attitude to cricket seems very positive, which is what they need. 
They also had the young one. I forget his name. His name was... Let me look it up. Same Ayub, the debutant who played quite well in the second innings. I think he's a very um, attacking batsman that could be very good for Pakistan cricket. I like Chan Mashud's captaincy and his attacking attitude as well. Um, where they need to improve is you can't be playing guys like Sajid Khan and Aga Salman um, as your, you know, frontline bowlers. I don't think Saud Shaquille did himself any favours as well, the way he batted. Um, but yeah, you need they need a proper spinner. And I know there was some guy who was meant to play who's a leggy but was injured. So that was a real shame. Um, but yeah, so a couple of shining lights for Pakistan. And, you know, do you have competed as well as they did without Baba's arm making any contributions? That was a fair effort on their side of things. For Australia, the obvious one is uh, Mitchell Marsh, you know, who's some guy that, you know, never really used to perform for us. If we think 10 years ago consistently, it would do something brilliant every now and then, but then kind of go missing for a long time as well. Now he's performing consistently in all three formats. He's gone from a you know, from a zero to a hero. And it's really good to see, you know, contributed heavily in the T20 World Cup, contributed in the 50-year World Cup as well, contributed in the Ashes recently, and now contributed in Test Cricket as well. So a couple of shining lights there. But I think more opportunity than anything for both teams with slots opening up in Australia and Pakistan just having obvious holes in their order from a full-time spinner point of view and from a batting point of view. So next up, we had the Bangladesh versus New Zealand tours. And I said tours because that was a weird one. So after the World Cup, New Zealand played Bangladesh. And I spoke about the very first test match in my last episode, I'm pretty sure. Bangladesh won the first test match, which was unheard of. I don't know if that's the first time they've beaten New Zealand. I have a sneaky feeling they've beaten them before. Uh, but then New Zealand somehow managed to win the second one. So there was a bit of drama with the second test match where Mushfika Rahim handled the ball. Speaking of weird ways of getting out after recounting for Angelo Matthews, that was a funny one. I did find myself on YouTube watching the last few times this has happened and, you know, the most famous ones probably Steve Wobb and Linda Ball. Absolute legend of the game, but I don't know what he was thinking. But yeah, Mushi decided to touch the ball and he got given out and that probably changed the narrative of that second test. They probably could have beaten New Zealand for a whole test series. But you know, got to stay focused in test cricket in that humid conditions in Bangladesh and make sure you don't get sucked in like that. Um, and I say it was a weird series because after the test series in Bangladesh, they went straight to New Zealand for a one-day series, which I was really disappointed with. Normally, New Zealand has the... Um, test cricket as well, especially the Boxing Day test match. So normally in the Southern Hemisphere, New Zealand, Australia and um, South Africa have Boxing Day test matches and New Zealand didn't this time. It's probably a big sign towards the kind of cricket that's to come in the future. Test cricket seems to be dying, but I'll touch on that later on in the podcast. And yeah, Bangladesh... Um, couldn't win the ODI series. They lost to New Zealand 2-1. But they did win one of the matches, and I believe that's the first time they've beaten New Zealand in New Zealand. Which is, once again, a, um easier said than done achievement, considering Sri Lanka hasn't beaten New Zealand 
for a long time now. Um, the last time I, I can recall is when Tissera Pereira just single-handedly chased down a mammoth total. And then ages ago, I remember Josuri used to single-handedly beat them as well. But in between any of that, New Zealand's been a very dominant team against subcontinental teams. So yeah, really well done for Bangladesh. They seem to be improving at a steady pace, which is really good. I hope they keep playing their youngsters and hopefully they keep improving as well. They just need a couple of real reliable players to come in in the middle order and just dominate their both one-day cricket and, um, I mean, 50-0 cricket and test cricket. If they can get a couple of superstars who average around, you know, 45-50 in both formats um, to contribute consistently, I think they'll go a long way from there because their bowling seems to be much better. Hopefully their fielding keeps improving as well. I didn't get enough time to watch those series to see how their fielding was, but I haven't heard anything, so it must have been fine. Then they had the T20 series, which Bangladesh almost won, but New Zealand won the very last match to even up the series because there was a it was a three match series and there was a rain out in between. So um, I guess good fight back from New Zealand, but impressive signs coming out of Bangladesh. I think they're someone to keep an eye out on. So Chandigarh Singh, the Sri Lankan guy, has gone back to coach them, and whenever he's coaching them, he seems to have a good way with them. So good things are happening in Bangladesh cricket. Then there was the India's tour of South Africa, and this was a very interesting tour. So first up, they had the T20s, and then um, the T20 series was a draw. So South Africa won one, India won one. Then they had the ODI series, which India clinched, I believe. I'm just looking at the stats right now just to double-check that fact. Yeah, India won the first one, South Africa won the second one. And then India won the third one. That's quite an achievement by India. Playing in South Africa is never easy for any team, let alone a subcontinental team. And to go there and to win that, um, from memory, they played a second-tier team as well. I'll need to fact-check that, but I'm pretty sure they did. And then uh, the Test Series, they had India had their full lineup back and got absolutely destroyed in the first Test match. You know, India got out for a you know very moderate 245. South Africa, Dean Elgar special, uh, put a hundred together, and then they scored 408, and then India just got all out. That was a very classical Test game, so to speak. Of haven't seen one of those in a long, long time, and Elgar's innings was a very long innings as well. Although he did go out to 65 strike rate, so it was pretty good. Um. I'm just looking at the scorecard to double-check the stats, and I see Marco Jansen contributed with 84. I didn't realise that, so that was really good as well. Um, but yeah, India lost the Boxing Day game, and then we all know what happens in Cape Town. India have got South Africa out for 55 runs in the first innings, and then India only scored 153, but they managed to dominate South Africa after that. Makram got a very impressive 100 in that ground that was very hard to score at um he should just keep the keep playing the way he's playing because he's going quite well and you know he's starting to play some serious cricket it was evident in the 50 over world cup as well you know this is a bloke who probably has another six seven years left in his career so hopefully he's a becomes a you know superstar in that um next batch i feel like he has everything all the attributes required to become one um, Rabada seems to be back in form. I didn't get to see what speed he was bowling at. That's one of the things I've been most disappointed with him recently. He's only bowling 135s, not really bowling the 145s he used to. But yeah, he bowled really well and he was getting all the wickets. 
But South Africa, South Africa, South Africa, you can't be getting out for 55 all out. You need to do something about that, especially when you're betting at home. I understand it was a tricky pitch, but my goodness, man, like 55 is not enough. Yeah, really well done for India to evening up that series. Um, it was a bit of a nothing series. Once again, I hope um, they hype these series up a bit more, but hard to do after a World Cup, really, when you have so much happening. Um, but yeah, so a lot of drama after the South Africa series was done because they aren't going to be fielding very competitive test teams in the future, apparently, when the South African T20 tournament's on. So that's going to be a really interesting watch. It looks like that's the direction cricket's heading towards. It's sad, but you also understand why that is. You know, people don't have the attention span anymore to watch five days of test cricket, I guess, or to enjoy it, whereas T20 has a lot of viewers, has a lot of money, has a lot of, you know, television rights happening. A lot of good things are happening. So it'll be interesting to see what happens in the future of cricket. But, uh, you know, I for one say, although it's sad, you kind of have to evolve with the game and keep going ahead with it. And then, um, yeah, try to enjoy as much as we can with cricket. So that the sport lives on and if T20 cricket's the best avenue for the future from that point of view that's what we need to embrace I guess the elephant in the room is you know that's where the money's at as well players want to get rich players want to make money which is fair enough that's what we all do with our jobs and compared to other sports cricket doesn't really pay that much you know you hear guys in baseball making billion dollars and NBA making hundreds of millions same in soccer same in rugby union um, across the world, a lot of different sports, people making, you know, tens and hundreds of millions of dollars. Um, so hopefully cricket becomes one of those sports as well, and T20 is probably the avenue to make that happen. Um, so, yeah, I guess it's a sad reality, but it's probably the direction we're headed in. We just need to make sure T20, we get the best, kind of cricket out of it and then we need to do something to make sure test cricket doesn't die from it there were some suggestions from Steve Waugh to make sure ICC ensures that the match fees are the same for all countries so I didn't realize this so I'm guessing what that means is different countries get different match fees from the ICC which is absolute rubbish you know whether you're a Bangladesh or Australia if you're making a fee from an ICC point of view you should be paying the same match fee if there's other funding arrangements and things like that I understand that being different but players should be making the same amount and that will really encourage um, a lot more you know countries to participate in sport a lot more players to participate in sport and yeah, I guess even from a local point of view, like cricket seems to be dying even in Australia. Like we were talking about it in the club cricket this week, how there's not as many teams playing anymore, which is really sad. I remember when I was playing um, 15 years ago in club cricket, there were too many teams in these leagues and, you know, they had to kind of put caps on how many people could play and things like that. Now clubs have merged and we can't get more than six, seven clubs, uh, not a league as in, but like a tier, like if it's the second tier or the third tier or whatever it is, uh, which is really sad to see. So I think it, there needs to be a all-round effort within the governments, the cricketing bodies, the ICC to really boost cricket up again. We spoke about it with the World Cup as well. There wasn't enough hyping up of the game 
and that hyping up of cricket has just about disappeared. It's become like a very much a television, televised game, and that's all they care about. But what's happening is the player numbers seems to be going down as well. And then also the traditional format of cricket seems to be dying because of the same lack of interest. So, yeah, it's really sad. Hopefully the decision makers can do something about it and they can get put all their brains together and change turn that around. Um, but yeah, so there's a lot to be done in that field. In the midst of it all, we had the IPL auction. So, wasn't that an interesting one with Mitchell Stark going for almost 4 million, well, not almost, I think it was over 4 million AUD, which is an insane amount. Okay, I'm going to call this right here, right now. This is going to be one of the worst purchases of all time in IPL history. Whenever these clubs do this and go crazy after one guy for whatever reason, when they're not superbly proven they almost never come off I haven't looked into Mitchell Marsh's um, career in India in fact you know what I'm going to pause this and have a look now all right I'm back so firstly sorry I said Mitchell Marsh just before I meant Mitchell Stark as I was talking about him um, about his purchase in the IPL so his bowling record, he hasn't played any T20 internationals in India, but his bowling record in India is nowhere near as good as the rest of his career. Well, rest of the world, I should say. So in Australia, his average is 21 and economy is 4.88, pretty good. In England, 25.16, economy of 5.52, pretty good. In India... 35.75 and 6.26. That's not a very good average, Mitchell Stark. And you know what? Good for you. Like, not having a go at him in any way. But the guys, whoever the guys who bid so much money on getting him on board for the highest bid ever in IPL history, I don't think he was worth it. It was you, you overspend. You made a mistake here. I feel like he's going to get taken apart. And I can't remember how he went when he played IPL last. That was a long time ago. But. I just don't think he's that genuinely a good player when um, in India, I should say. Like, in general, he's a very good player, especially in the Australian tracks and South African tracks. Or maybe not South African, like English tracks and stuff like that. But in India, his bowling's going to be somewhat one pace and easy to hit. And in those smaller grounds, his pace is probably going to make it easy to hit those sixes and fours across the across the field so it'll be really interesting to see but like I said before my call is he's going to be one of the worst pickups in the history of the game Patrick Cummins is another interesting one went for a lot a lot a lot of money once again ah I'm going to say the same thing I think if anything his batting will be the most impressive thing of Patrick Cummins playing in the IPL but I I can't imagine his bowling being superbly destructive. I feel like what's happened is they've had a bit of rose glasses or whatever that phrase is um, after the World Cup win. Australia had a very good World Cup final but they didn't have a very good bowling um, World Cup so to speak of the World Cup final. The you know, the grand final, they did really well. But overall, their bowling attack wasn't that good. They just had to keep chasing runs down and or score a lot of runs in order to win games. And that's how they won that World Cup. So I feel like, yeah, so 
rose-colored glasses or whatever that phrase is I keep going back to has what is what's happened here and then these guys have gone for too much money in my opinion Daryl Mitchell I see has gone for a lot of money as well which is pretty good he's a pretty good player so I understand that um, looking at the list, Harshal Patel, don't know much about him. Azari Joseph, heard a fair bit about him. He's meant to be pretty good. Spencer Johnson would be interesting. He has done really well in the Big Bash for a few years now, so it'll be interesting to see how he goes in um, the IPL. I also feel like you get worked out in the IPL a lot quicker than the Big Bash League, so it'll be interesting to see how that goes. Also, once again, not favouring conditions. Um, oh, this is Shah Rukh Khan. I didn't realize the famous actor was playing, but hopefully he does well. And there's Riley Russo and Roman Powell who tops off the top buys. Unsold players is a very interesting one. Starting the list, Stephen Smith. Big, big call. I think not having him, but to be fair, he probably hasn't been in the form. He needs to be Josh English. Uh, don't rate him that much to be an IPL player just yet. I think he can get there, but I don't think he's there just yet. Josh Hazelwood, that's an interesting one. So I reckon he would have a good record in all three formats, and he's some guy who's just very hard to get away with. But what lets him down is he can't bat at all. So having an international player who can't bat at all is a bit of a um, you know liability. Just looking at the rest of the list, Chris Jordan's probably the only one who catches my eye and goes, "Ooh, might consider him." But everyone else, I can kind of understand why they didn't get picked up. Yeah, so just going through the list, there's no one really catching your eye going, you should really have me in a team. So yeah, I think it'll be a very interesting IPL coming up, especially with Starkey and Cummins. Really want to see how they go. You know what? Absolutely wish them the best. Hope they do the best, you know, fellow Aussies. So hopefully they dominate it. Um, Yeah, it'll be really interesting to see how they go. And finally, we have the Big Bash League, you know, the Australian leading T20 competition. I say leading because it's one out of one competitions. Not as big as the IPL, but, you know, it produces pretty decent cricket. Um, especially at the start of the tournament, the cricket, I thought the quality of cricket was quite good. More recently, there's been a lot of games that have been washed out. So I don't know what they can do in order to avoid that. Maybe better scheduling, smart scheduling, but geez, like so many games were washed out. Um, which was really frustrating. Brisbane Heat had the top of the table, so I think Wade Seconds, the coach there, pretty sure, um, what's his name, Darren Lehman stepped down as an assistant only, just seemed to be pesting around, appearing on um, some commentary stints and things like that, or at least close to them. Uh, but yeah, Perth Scorchers doing really well, as per normal, you know, pretty huge for them. Sydney Sixers in the top two as well. So it's an interesting schedule this time around. Some teams get, you know, a lot of games in a row and then other teams get um, none at all. And then all of a sudden they had to play a lot in a row. Uh, But yeah, uh, I haven't been watching it as much because it's just uh, been, I don't know, hard to get make time to watch it. And I haven't heard too many things going off in it. There was one really good game between Adelaide and I'm going to say Melbourne Stars. So from a stats point of view, Matthew Short and Chris Lynn, the two Adelaide strikers, uh, blokes are the top run getters. Then Aaron Hardy for Perth's um, scorchers. There's always a Perth scorcher in there, in all honesty. And then top wicket takers um, is a surprise for me. I didn't realize Xavier Bartlett. So I haven't heard his name pop to the top 
sections off any stats list previously. He's been playing Big Bash League for a while now, but he yeah, seems to be doing really well. Daniel Sams with um, 11 wickets. I don't really rate Daniel Sams, to be honest. He bowls a lot of cutters and sometimes gets about five overs in five wickets in an over even. Um, but yeah, he's had his opportunity with Australian soccer and I just don't feel like he performed. But then number three, we've got Lance Morris, who's interesting because he's performing in T20 cricket, touted to, you know, play in test cricket at some point as well. Um, but yeah, Chris Lynn back in form is really exciting to see, but I don't think he's got any, um, you know, availability for Australian him left anymore. I don't think he even plays 50 over domestic cricket, to be honest. Um, yeah, so Big, Big Bash League has been quite slow this year, in all honesty. The start was good, but let's see how it all ends up. Hopefully the games towards the end of the series are much better and has a good um, final series. There's only 10 games a team, I think, this year, so there shouldn't be too many games left. There should only be about, I don't know, maybe 8 or 9 games left to finish it off, so that should be interesting to see what it all what happens out of it. But yeah, I think they need to expand the number of overseas players if they can and also up the salary caps if they can because they don't seem to be able to compete against the other big T20 um, tournaments going around. A little bit of drama with the Afghanistan board turning around on some of their players and you know going against their no-objection clauses and things like that. I think that's a very dangerous move from Afghanistani cricket because what that can do is it could pretty much start creating players who just play T20 leagues because I'd imagine they get paid more than, more from that than playing for Afghanistan. So, yeah, I think that's a watch-this-space area to see how all of that pans out, but... Um, yeah, so the Big Bash League has been somewhat underwhelming this year is my little one-sentence summary. But hopefully, let's have our fingers crossed for a really good final season to final series even to, you know, finish off in a high. Anyways, that brings us to an end of another episode of The Armchair Cricketer. A lot to cover in a very short period of time, but tried to keep this episode short because last one went for way too long and hopefully you enjoyed it. Let me know if you have any questions or comments. Would love to hear from you. And then I'll keep working at improving the format. See you later.